0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for sharing some of your time with us. The Reducing Stigma for Improving Maternal Health Virtual Forum is hosted in collaboration through SYNC Collective, Avira Research Institute, and through the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board. Funding comes from the National Institute of Health National Institute on Drug Abuse and from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Views expressed in this talk are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views of the hosting organizations, funding organizations, or any organizations that the speakers may be professionally or personally affiliated with.
1: Hello, my name is Jean Klein and I'm an attorney in Rapid City, South Dakota. I have worked in the legal system for approximately the past 40 years, primarily in the area concerning children and parents who are suffering issues that create bringing them into the legal program. During these years, I have seen the role of alcohol and drug as it has played out in the dysfunctionality of these families and the deterioration of those families. When I first started in this area, alcohol was the predominant factor, impacting mothers and children and bringing them into the legal system. The most common drug use prior to 2000 was essentially marijuana, although there were some harder drugs that were coming on the scene. In the past 10 years, however, the abuse of methamphetamines has increased exponentially. In the past probably three years, almost all of the cases that I have been involved with, the parent or parents have been and are frequent meth users. Many of the children who come in to the court because of meth come in as newborns when the hospital finds, by the first testing, that that child has meth in their system. I am hopeful going to set out for you as I talk here today how the legal system is involved with mothers who have alcohol or drug abuse and how it is, excuse me, how it impacts both their relationship with their children and their own lives. I will. Indicate to you that occasionally I may be drifting to the side because clearly I have notes that I want to make sure I correctly cover these points and that uh, I could stay on task. To understand the issue of alcohol and substance abuse in pregnancy as it's dealt with in the legal system, it is important to note that there are generally only two arenas in which these will come within the court it is important also to understand that drug and alcohol use are most often in- intertwined with other problems involving a mother and her child in truth mothers are often impacted excuse me i have a cat in truth mothers are often impacted by their own family and their upbringing many are children of mothers who they themselves abused alcohol and They are in a family in which drug and alcohol abuse is common and uh, substantial. Issues of FAA and FAS are high in these areas, although we may not always directly see the impact of that when working with a family, depending on the knowledge and the ability to recognize and understand those. So for a young mother who is pregnant, these factors play a, excuse me, Play a role in how they look at the world they live in. And they are often ingrained within the family and they impact all phases of their lives. I can tell you from my many years of involvement with these cases that the family circle often contains multiple members who are in the legal system in varying ways. And that uh, the connective issue and situation for a pregnant mother. May well be one of the many things that preclude her ability to move forward on her own problems. Hey there, you've got to stay on the road. It is also true that the same people who are the support system for that mother uh, are counterproductive to her ability to meaningfully deal with her own issues. We are often in the system asking her to make decisions which will require that mother to sever the ties that she has with many family members in order for her to get the strength to el- eliminate drug and alcohol use. That is not an easy and is not uh, what I want to say a uh, a situation in which people can do that in a regular or an uninterrupted scene. When I talk about this, excuse me, <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you about two systems. What I do need to indicate to you is that the legal system does not generally provide assistance and programs to a mother who is pregnant and has no other children. If a mother is not a parent already, the services that we talk about through the civil system simply are not statutorily provided, and therefore, other than offering her referral, and pointing her in a general direction. There is no support system that would be created for her. In the legal system, if she is a mother without a child, or without other children, she will most often come through the legal system in either the uh, criminal system as a victim, or in the criminal system as an adult. And those carry uh, two different patterns of assistance. The more limiting Quite frankly, for a, protective, uh, a mother with abuse issues is if she's a victim. Where a parent comes into the court as a victim, they most often come in as uh, victims of domestic violence. The vast majority of cases which in which domestic violence occur, not all, but the vast majority, also involve drug and alcohol use by the victim and by her perpetrator. So When they come in, the court system is not focused on the victim except to the fact of holding the perpetrator accountable. Criminal court is a fault court. It is not designed, at least in Maine, the mainstay, to do the broader social economic issues. We are headed that way, hopefully. But as we sit today, and I will talk about this a little bit as we go forward, Uh, that offering is quite limited. For a mother who is, as a victim, uh, she is often the reporting person and she is the first individual that the police department will have contact with. Based upon what she has told them, they will arrest the significant other or spouse who has been the perpetrator. The problem here is that that relationship is often one in which severing that relationship is extremely hard. I have seen mothers who simply cannot cut the tie with an abuser and therefore will draw back into that relationship and the repetition of the violence. The criminal court is woefully lacking to deal with that relationship except to possibly refer again the perpetrator to uh, certain types of counseling but most often they're put on probation and released and sent back into the system. Because of that, many times, mothers will not cooperate with the law enforcement. And um, I can tell you that in that situation, it creates a, um, a, I'm not gonna say a belief, but a situation wherein victims are not necessarily um, recognized or understood for the issues that they are, and this is especially when a charge has been brought, a mother will not appear at the court, the charges are dropped, the situation will reappear again with the subsequent abuse, and then uh, the this, this series of things will go on. And because of that unwillingness to participate, many parents are viewed in light of not really wanting the help. The problem is within the criminal system for a victim, the help is not really there. The other way a a pregnant mother might come into the criminal system is as a defendant, as a user or abuser of drug and alcohol, and particularly in this day with methamphetamines, many young pregnant or mothers who have recently given birth are charged with the use of methamphetamine. And methamphetamine is a felony. Most of the drugs in the system, except for some small uses of marijuana, are treated as felony charges. Those are major charges carrying substantial amount of time. And depending on whether it's possession or disposition, uh, distribution of drugs, uh, it can actually carry a mandatory jail time. Again, the system here is not, for the most part, geared towards uh, facilitating uh, redemption, uh, assistance, uh, medical help. It is a fault court, and the major fault is either probation or jail. Now, we are seeing some more um, enlightened, I guess I would like to use words, within the court system on a limited scale, but we are seeing it in regards of how these people can be dealt with. When it's on a general case, They often include the requirements of treatment, residential treatment, uh, uh, daily treatment. Uh, They have people who do, for example, um, daily drug uh, testing. Um, They have both in residential and out of residential care uh, treatment programs. But um, that is really based substantially on telling the parent that's what they must do and then waiting to see if it fails or not. In the past few years here in Pennington County and there's a few other counties, uh, Sturgis and I think there may be some in, in Minnehaha County, they have started programs of what we call specialty courts. We have a veterans court, we have a drug court, we have a DUI court and we have a mental health court. These are uh, courts that are specifically carved out. Each one is covered by a specific judge and the probation officer who is assigned to this court, there's two or three I think for each, has a much more detailed and a much more uh, hands-on involvement. For the individuals who are assigned to this uh, court, that being the parent, for example, the uh, mother who's expecting, they, they uh, must pass certain specific requirements. They must have pled to the charge. Uh, it's conceivable that they could have what's called a suspended imposition, but what basically is put in place, whether it's a suspended imposition of of the charge itself, or whether it's a general plea of guilt, is that a period of jail time is placed over them. It is then suspended, and they are sent to work in the uh, specific court, veterans, DUI, drugs, or mental health. That court is a much more holistic court. It approaches the needs of that person with a specific goal to try and bring them through a process which will help them stay away from drugs, stay away from alcohol. Uh, It's also geared to oftentimes help them seek employment. It's the closest thing we have to uh, an actual um, civil process within a criminal system. Jail time is held over them. And if they do not finish or, or they can be sent to jail, however, if they work through that program, uh, and it's about a year, a year and a half to go through it, they uh, and succeed. They uh, have many more skills uh, than they had just going through the regular criminal program. For one of the things that um, I believe is very beneficial is if if a parent, if a pregnant mother were assigned to this court, she would already have had to agree and to have gone into some type of treatment program and that when that program is completed, she meets at least once a week with other individuals who are in the same program going through the same issues. Uh, They meet with the judge, with the uh, probation officers, and with anybody else that they feel really needs to come into this. The goal there is to keep them on track to point out if there are issues or failures, if there are concerns, to immediately address those if they can, and to to make sure that they are pretty consistently monitored and helped. It it is vastly different from the courts that, uh, the regular courts, and uh, that holistic approach has, uh, I believe, benefited many people. The problem with it is it's labor-intensive, and it only serves a minority of individuals. So if they don't get into that court, their ability to have assistance from the legal system is quite limited. The other court, and this is the court which I, for the past 40 years, have been, been involved. Um, and if I'm going to just deviate here for a little minute to try and explain that um, this, that we call, sometimes call it the children's court. We have Uh, It's literally called uh, uh, the Abuse and Neglect Court. It's a a court that's um, not accessible to the public. Um, It's a many-layered court because of the various mechanisms that are involved. We have a lot of uh, collateral people who are involved, primarily working through the Department of Social Services. And if I can go back for a minute, I can point out that that specialty court I talked about refers to many of the same programs that I'll talk about here in a minute that are used in abuse and neglect cases to help because the court system is not does not hire and is not geared to do mental health counseling, parenting counseling, um, drug and alcohol counseling, um, men- mentoring by other individuals, such as like you see through uh, AA. Uh, They are a a monitoring system, which relies on others to help bring this about. In uh, abuse and neglect cases, the only way a pregnant mother would be involved in that court is if she had other Older children, and if those children were, uh, for example, <clears throat> uh, found to have had, I suppose the simplest one is the are not attending school. More likely, uh, the grounds for which this is <clears throat> is 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 because of, for example, the domestic violence, and the children were present. The mother was arrested for a DUI, and the children were in the car. Um, most recently, as I said before, uh, the involvement with hospitals uh, when a mother comes in and gives birth to a child uh, and there's suspicion uh, by her behavior or her uh, that she has been on some kind of drugs, they'll be testing uh, on the baby to see if drugs are present. Um, others are where we have. Uh, children who uh, appear at school and have had bu- uh, bruises and the mother is living with a, 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 a domestic violent person who not only injures her but injures the children. So what brings them in oftentimes is not directly the drug and alcohol issues but I can tell you that in 90 to a hundred percent of the cases, drug and alcohol are tied up in that, Problem, and are a contributing factor to that problem. The uh, if they come in that way, and a mother is pregnant, the uh, not the court, but the Department of Social Services will uh, enable to ha- try to help her get. Um, prenatal prenatal care, because many of these people do not go to uh, a doctor prior to the birth of a child or very, very rarely. And so you have those issues and you don't know necessarily the status for her or the baby, unless you can get her in. Oops, I just got stuck by my cat. I apologize to you. Um, So what I want to explain with you in, in how they're coming in, it is still viewed somewhat as a fault. I oftentimes like to use um, an analogy, which in this area is not common, but I love the ocean. And I like to point out that if you look at a ship, and if you ever take a glance at a ship, you can see a line down the side. That's called a plumsel line. And if a ship is overloaded, such as a parent would be overloaded with drug and alcohol issues, it will fall below that line and the ship could sink. Well, families are kind of ships and where they have those issues, those plimsoll lines are uh, of problems and issues is what will eventually bring them into the system. It's viewed somewhat of a fault. They have done something inappropriate. And as I like to tell the people that it's better to look at it not under the criminal fault actions, but under civil, that there's a negligence there. Now there can be abuse, and I'm not saying that there isn't, and we often have abuse in cases, but uh, it is better when we're working on these cases, and for the most part, uh, that is the attitude and the belief that we're looking at the issues not necessarily the individual facts that brought them in. The individual facts that brought them in will serve as a basis for the state's attorney to file a petition and for the state to retain custody of the children during the pendency of the matter. But the actual day-to-day work, which we'll be talking about here in in a minute, uh, is what will indeed impact uh, where we are at the end of this civil case, I need to let you know that when a child is taken into custody by the department, it's usually, ill, it's almost always with uh, the assistance of law enforcement, and a request is sent to the state attorney's office to initiate an action. Uh, these children are removed and taken from their parents' custody, and there's always the potential that if things do not work out they can ultimately be permanently removed from those parents' custody. Uh, when the children are removed, there's an emergency hearing approximately 72 day, or seventy-two hours after the removal. In Pennington County, we usually have hearings on Mondays and Thursdays. And at the time of that hearing, attorneys are appointed for the children and for the parents. The parents are given at least a background description as to why the children are in care, and the court will then set what's called as an advisory hearing. At the advisory hearing, which is usually about 30 days out from this initial emergency hearing, the parents will appear with their attorney. The, The state's attorney will either read or they'll waive the reading of the actual petition, and the parents will either admit To what or to some or all portions of what's gone on or they'll deny and an adjudicatory hearing excuse me will be set up um that adjudicatory hearing is often 60 uh, 60 to 80 days out now when we back up and i'm going to talk about children here in a minute when we back up we're now talking about a parent with an issue who no longer has custody of their child and will probably be ninety days out before the court determines whether abuse or neglect happened. To to most people, that's a long time, and it is. Uh, it's the reality of how the system is set and structured, because like many things, it's structured to work on a timetable. T- At the adjudicatory hearing, the court will there will be testimony of witnesses uh, as regards. The, the issue. For example, I'll, I'll take the meth case from the hospital. Someone from the hospital will come, will testify to the procedures that are used, and testify that there's meth in the child's system. And the only source for that meth is, of course, from the pregnant mother, and an adjudication can happen. <clears throat> After the determination of um, uh, that a child is abused and neglected, we then get on a what's called, a, I call it a cycle, It's about every 60 days, people come back to court and there's a review of what has occurred in the case. The basis of that review is essentially this issue or there are usually some collateral issues that you find as the case goes along uh, are the problems that the parents have. What has the department been doing to help them and how are they doing on those processes? Are they, for example, getting drug and alcohol assistance? Are they attending AA? uh, Collaterally, if they're looking for housing, have they been helped to try and find housing? Uh, All of which falls back to the Department of Social Services. If after about a year, insufficient progress is made in the case, a final hearing will be set in which the court will determine whether to terminate parental rights, Place the children in some type of permanent guardianship or continue to work on the case. Uh, That's the the process within the system. Within that process is the parent, our pregnant mother with alcohol or drug use, and the Department of Social Services. For indeed, it's the day to day progress with the family that resides in that involvement. The department. social services is obligated by law to come up with a plan conjunctively with the parent as to how they will proceed. Um, in those meetings, the, the worker will sit down with the parent and talk about what brought her what, her into the system. What are the issues? What does she, she see she needs help with? Um, and they will then sit down and work out a plan of how we we will address that. For example, if it's drug or alcohol, the department will help her set up a CD evaluation. Um, We have various programs, for example, here. If it also includes domestic violence, the department will help her get into some kind of counseling program which can provide assistance for that. Throughout the matter, The worker is the contact person for the mother. She's also the collateral, or he is collateral contact for the children. And they are to monitor children's placement, medical and social uses, and other things. And I'm going to put on pause because somebody's just coming to my door suppose that's one of the issues one has when they're at home. My grandson just came by, and so he's off to do something for me, but uh, to go back to the the issue for that work with the social worker, they are mandated both by state law and federal law to help a parent find resources. The issue here is in the civil cases, the worker can help a parent set up a CD evaluation. They can assist in visitation. They can go to a meeting. They cannot force a parent to go. And that's a kind of a fine dividing line. And sometimes is it's, it's uh, difficult because if a parent says, I'm going to counseling, but won't sign a release, the worker can only say, she told me she's going to counseling, but is not given access. It's very much uh, similar in some ways to the uh, specialty court I talked to you about, except for the fact that the worker in the case often doesn't have that week-to-week contact that we see in the, the specialty courts. It also is important to understand that in these matters, the question is, do we see a behavioral change? Not do we see that mom went to got a CD evaluation or mom is attending AA. The question is, is there a way to evaluate that one can see that there's an understanding by the parent of the issues. There's an acceptance of working on that issue, and a moving forward with the concerns. If that is there, then what would happen is you would be moving towards putting children back. But on the other hand, if it's not there, or if there and there oftentimes are um, clashes between workers and parents, uh, the ability to arrive at that becomes difficult. Parents, in addition to the Drug and alcohol, as I said before, often have collateral issues. They uh, often don't have housing. They live with extended family members or as a phrase I once learned was they couch reside, staying with different family members over time or friends. They don't have employment or they may never had employment. They have few, if any, friends outside of the world that encompasses drug and alcohol. And so the burden here is quite intense. In fact, in the course of my work, I've often seen that it's almost overwhelming for a parent. The dysfunctional world from which they come does not provide them the tools that we are asking them to adopt. and It's a heavy burden for a parent, and because it really takes a long time, many parents will simply give up It it is also a fact that uh, there's a vast turnover of employees at DSS. Uh, It's not uncommon for me to start with one worker on a case and have another worker take it over three or four months in. This is my view. This is my personal view because the the law simply says DSS provides. But that relationship is important in helping a parent get from one point to another. And when you're constantly changing workers, that constantly requires a renewal of trust and understanding. And that too can make it more difficult for a parent to succeed. The solution would obviously be if the state would pay more to DSS workers. I talked to somebody the other day who pointed out that a DSS worker makes just about what an employee had McDonald's makes, and yet I somehow don't think the role that is played in life by the chef in McDonald's could compare in any fashion to the role that a DSS worker would play in somebody's life. Um, we also have uh, sometimes limited understanding. I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit in just a couple of minutes here about race and class in this, but it would be fair to say that most, not all, but most workers are young. They come from solid families. They don't have the issues that these families, and until they've been around for a while, they've never really seen this dysfunctionality. I can say that because when I first started in the practice, I was in the state attorney's office and I worked in these cases and I had grown up here in Rapid City and I had absolutely no meaningful knowledge that this type of these types of situations were there. And that it took me a fair amount of time to begin to understand and recognize the burdens and the problems that this court was trying to address. And that's the same thing that goes with workers and it can create the same or similar problems for the ability of the parent to successfully complete the program. Also, I I need to point out that throughout this, children, although they're the reason we do this, and they do have attorneys who are appointed to them, they're never in the court. And their involvement is sort of like it's on the side. When a child is brought in and placed in either foster care or some type of residential program if they have needs of their own, or if they're placed with extended family, their contact with their mother is limited, usually to one hour once a week. If it's with a family member and there's comfort there, it can be expanded. If it's a newborn, uh, I consistently ask for at least two hours A week. If you look at our state uh, visitation guidelines for parents, for a and it would be a father, um, it's at least three hours or two hours, three times a week. But both the financial ability to provide it and supervise it has not been invested by our state, and that makes it difficult. It also, but it makes it difficult for the children. They get to see their parent, their their soul of their lives. One time a week. They are often placed with strangers who can be very loving and very kind, but still strangers. Uh, They're they're moved from their schools and uh, basically may or may not get contact with other extended family members, although the possibility is there. What that means for the child is this is a limbo and it's a limbo they stay in until the matter is resolved. I often like to say to people, if I had been dating the man of my life and he told me, well, I can't give you an answer for 90 days and then it'll all depend, my ability to trust and to be involved with him would be limited. For kids, that's a burden that's there as well. The last area that I was asked to address, and it permeates this matter, is the question of race and class. Um, I only need to say, pull up the uh, Pennington County inmate list uh, of people who are incarcerated. And you can see that it's a disproportionate number of Native Americans. You can see what the charges are, but it really doesn't matter. It's a disproportionate number of Native Americans who come within that system. If you could, which you can't, but if you could pull up a listing of DSS cases, In the state, these civil cases, these abuse and neglect cases, you would likewise see a disproportionate number of them are Native American cases. It's the same for the juvenile. So there is an issue. And the other issue is poverty. Poverty means that on their own, they don't have the ability to Uh, reach out to many of these services. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have people that they can contact. The thing to note here, though, is that it is in regards to Native American, they are essentially entering a non-Native world. It is hard sometimes to understand, and I've talked with tribal members and others, uh, and my own family has Native Americans, the difference between viewing this world by a Native American and viewing this world by a non, by a white. And for that Native American, the court system is not and does not have any real ties to the culture of the Native American. The judge is white. The state attorney is white. The vast majority of the attorneys are white. Most of the counseling entities, although there are more. And with Indian Health Service and the expansions we're seeing there, there are some more areas. But it is not a world in which uh, there's a basic comfort level uh, And that is an added issue, which comes out. In 1978, federal government passed the Indian Child Welfare Act, which increased the legal responsibility for providing service to a higher level. And I believe on many levels it has. DSS is much more proactive in helping families, much less blaming. and uh, generally recognizing that the need there requires simply more than simply giving someone a list of things they need to do. Uh, It's somewhat less confrontational, but there's still a long way for it to go to know and understand that Native Americans are not white Anglo-Saxons. They are not, their view of the world and their ability to deal with it is different. Doesn't make it wrong. It's just another culture. And sometimes I feel, as I work through these cases, that that is hard to be recognized. Not on a malevolent level, but mostly on an ignorant level. And you can't guarantee when you see changeovers with the department and still the view of fault that um, we can improve on that. There's Because of that, sometimes there's a lack of communication between the entities that provide service and the family they're trying to help. When the communication is good, things are better. When they are not good, they are not better. And we have yet to figure out how to resolve that issue. I like to say, I don't know if I like, but I believe you need to understand that we do not provide the funding and mechanism to address the complexity of these issues in a meaningful way. And so long as we aren't putting that in there and reaching out and understanding that, we will continue to have difficulties and we will continue to have issues which could better be resolved within the legal system. I understand that we're gonna be doing a a live presentation in January. If my discussion here has in any way brought up questions or disagreements, please let uh, people know here, I will certainly be there. Uh, I'm so glad to see that there's an outreach here. This is the way to go. The more we know, the more we understand, the better things can be for young mothers, young fathers, and their children. Thank you very much.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our series. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about the SYNC Collaborative, then you can check us out on Facebook at Project SYNC. That's S-Y-N-C-H. And if you're interested in participating in a couple of our projects, you can email us at projectsync at avira.org, or you can call or text us at 605-667-0035. The Great Plain Tribal Leaders Help Board has some great information and resources available. If you're interested in knowing a little bit more about Tribal Treatment Resource, Uh, you can check out their Tribal Treatment Services Resource Guide on their website at bhr. Dot dot org. And if you're interested in knowing about the programs for maternal and child health, you can email Nora Bosum, N-O-R-A dot B-O-S-E-M at gptchb.org, or call 605 uh, 721 uh if you're interested in knowing more about the tribal opioid response, you can email Stacy Eagle at S T A C I dot at g p t c h b at GPTCHB.org or call at 605-721-0327. For more resources about substance use or addiction centers in South Dakota, you can check out the addictionresource.net. Uh, at Best Drug Rehab Centers in South Dakota, or for general help, you can call across the state of South Dakota, the 221 Helpline, 211 Helpline Center. Uh, thank you all again for listening, and please be compassionate to yourselves and each other. Thank you.